everybody, it's me, Emmy. I'm just your average coffee-loving girl trying to navigate life and what it means to follow Jesus. You see, I started this podcast as a way to keep me accountable in my personal Bible reading goals. And also, I wanted to create a safe space to share how I'm applying God's word to my everyday situations. Honestly, I just have a lot of questions and I figured, well, you probably do too. So why not just come along for the ride as I read through my devos and try to figure out life and Jesus. So grab your Bibles, grab your coffee. Let's dive in. Hey, y'all, welcome back. Today's episode is titled The Promise of Israel's Restoration, and we are going to tackle another big chunk. So we're looking at chapters 8 through 16, and bear with me, it's about to be a wild and bumpy ride, but hopefully it's really good. So I'm going to dive in right away, same as kind of last episode, since it was a big chunk. I'm not going to read all the chapters like verse by verse. But we're just going to kind of summations this and I guess just talk about it. So chapter eight and nine start off with where the people of Judah found themselves. Now, with Babylon physically present each passing day, they started to believe that God didn't even care about them anymore. He didn't care about their impending doom. He was just like, like, where'd you even go? So what that what was essentially happening is they were allowing that their circumstances to deceive them into thinking that God had abandoned them. But ironically, their circumstances was proof that God saw them. Because if he didn't see them, he didn't care about them. He wouldn't go through the trouble of, you know, letting them receive the Lord's judgment. But anyways, so he saw their idolatry and he sent a heads up with our boy Ezekiel to give, to tell them that his judgment was on the horizon. So instead of looking to the Lord who promised to forgive and heal their land if they would just humble themselves and ask for help, 2 Chronicles 7.14, they out here turned their backs to him and they were looking for salvation from like the most random things. Like they're out here like, son, help us. And like a whole bunch of other gods. Like, come on now, you know that they're not going to do nothing. If you could hold it in your hand, it's probably not going to do much. And it sounds like utter and complete nonsense. Am I right? Like... So we out here just putting our trust in the sun instead of the one who made the sun. I don't know about you, but like, what's the better option here? Hmm. But let me take a pause, because if I'm being completely honest, and that's my goal here, is to be honest with y'all. On days when I'm super anxious and overwhelmed and I get unsure of how God's going to show up for me, I tend to run to quote-unquote, created things as my own source of comfort and hope. And so Ezekiel here is reminding us that whether it's the sun or my smartphone or my best friend, a book, a workout, scratch that, I would run to Jesus before I work out. I don't know. Like, I tried to get into working out, but it's just, it's very hard. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, so, like, whatever trouble that I'm in, like the people of Judah are finding themselves, I tend to run to created things like for peace, love, escape, refuge, you name it, things that are not Jesus. And so when when we start to believe that God doesn't see our our hardship and our struggle and that he's abandoned us on this struggle bus we buy ourselves, then it's very easy for us to make an idol out of anything that kind of just makes itself available 
when we allow our circumstances to dictate how we start to interpret God's character, then we start looking like the people of Judah. We out here asking, oh, who can I run to? But the good thing is we got Jesus and we can always run to him. We should always run to him as our first choice, not our last choice or our last resort. But this is something I'm still very much working on. I don't really have all the kinks worked out on this whole first choice every single time, but I'm trying. And that kind of leads us right into chapter 10, where the sobering reality of loss and departure is boom, right where we find ourselves. So Ezekiel sees a vision similar to the one that he saw in chapter one, but this time there's a significant difference, like big time. So God's manifested glory is no longer dwelling, but it is departing, y'all. He said, goodbye. I'm out of here. So step by step, it's making itself a little temple exit out here by way of a very familiar cloud. If you journey back with me in my brain in Exodus, chapter 40 specifically, this cloud served as God's manifested presence by which he led his people by day and a pillar of fire by night. You remember when our buddy Mo and the Israelites done hop skipped out of Egypt? But now we're in Ezekiel chapter 10 and we see punishment is coming by way of fire. Whoa. And God's glory is leaving the temple by way of cloud. Hello. In verse 18 of chapter 10, then the glory of the Lord moved away from the threshold of the temple. Now, let me tell you something. I had to go back and read that because it was super easy or it could have been super easy to just breeze past the significance of that verse. But I I'm glad I went back because I really didn't want to miss this. It's such a grave warning that God is trying to communicate here. Sin hinders our ability to truly behold God's glory always, every time. And it was true for the Israelites back then. And it's very much true for, for me, for you, for all of us now. You see, as we consider this truth, I'm also encouraged, not just like, ah, warning, scared, right? Like I'm encouraged because during this whole season of Lent, the big ask is what sins in my life are hindering me from truly being able to behold God's glory? Is it pride, jealousy, anger, bitterness, materialism, comparison? Um, I'm not going to keep naming it because I'm not about to get my own feelings hurt, you feel me? But like, like, what is stopping me from beholding God's true glory? And in chapter 10, we're seeing that even though God's glory departed and he said, bye, Felicia, see ya, his promise never did. So a greater glory and the temple came in the fullness of Jesus Christ when he dwelt among God's people, just like it was promised or prophesied. And so, you know, today we are also eagerly awaiting for Jesus to come scoop us back up. Again, another promise and prophecy, except for this one hasn't taken place quite yet. So while we're waiting, God's glory is continuing to dwell in his temple. And what? Or who is his temple? And that's his body, the church. Let me break that down for you. That's me. That's you. That's believers all over the world. We are super imperfect. And yet God's spirit his, chooses to dwell inside of us. And one day, ooh, I can't wait for that day. 
I'm gonna be perfect. I'm gonna get my new body. I'm gonna be up in heaven. He's gonna come scoop me up and we're gonna be living our best lives unhindered, undisturbed, unmoved. Nothing gonna bother me. I'm gonna hang out in his glorious presence, surrounded by all the rest of y'all when we make it to heaven. It's gonna be so good, y'all. It's gonna be so good. Okay, so here we go. Restoration and a promise. Exile, a hole in the wall. There's gonna be so much happening in chapters 11 and 12, but what does it mean? What does it all mean? What does it mean? Well, let's try to figure this out together. At this time, the Israelites were living a life marked by sin and corruption. I think that's pretty standard for the Israelites. Every so often, they just keep circling back to sin and corruption. But even though they had a promise from God, they couldn't receive it because they were distant from God. So it's kind of amazing, right? Because as I'm rereading the story, it pops out that even when they were unable to take hold of what was the promise, God still walked beside them. And you see that in verse 16. So despite their sin and rebellion, because, you know, these people live in this little vicious cycle of rebellion, we see in chapter 11, verse 19, that God gives his people a new promise. He would ultimately bring them back from where they were scattered. And in place of their shame and mistakes, he's promised to give them a new heart and a new spirit. And I quote Ezekiel eleven nineteen: I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. Hearts of stone aren't changed easily. So this was the kind of transformation that only God could do. But before the transformation, our friends here were in exile. So I think as humans, right, I'm pretty sure we'd all prefer to skip over pain and mistakes. And let's just go straight to the good stuff. Like, I'm here for the good time. Why I got to go through all the suffering. But you see, God knew his people would finally recognize him as Lord. And that wasn't going to happen in the good times. That was going to take place when they were in captivity. And I'm not sure about you, but... hmm, your girl has made a lot of mistakes and I continue to make a lot of mistakes like I'm just living this life super not perfectly and I've said and I've done things that I wish I could take back and I haven't always been an example of Jesus's love to people around me have you met people you want to be showing them Jesus love all the time it's super hard like I've wanted to but it's hard and not only that but I've desired and I've worked towards strived for things that I knew were outside of God's plan for me. So, you know, as humans, thanks to Adam and Eve when they let sin enter the world, since then our hearts have often desired things that aren't always of God. But as I'm learning, at least through Ezekiel here, is that I can't allow my heart and feelings to be my guide. You see, when we wander off the path that God has for us, he will often use what we experience to draw us closer to himself. At least that's what I found in my experience. You see, regardless of the mistakes that I make, God prom- God's promises still hold true. Forgiveness, hope, and a life of purpose are still available through Jesus. So even on the days that I feel most distant from his presence or even his plan, I can remind myself that his promises are still available to me. And that's something that I truly try to hold on to. So these are the good promises of God. God's promises are true. But do you know who was not true? These false prophets in chapter 13. 
they was out here saying this is what the Lord's declaration was. When indeed, let me tell you something, they was not. Out here, prophet lying, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 13, making up these declarations of made up visions and whatnot. Talking about, ooh, we're going to proclaim peace. There was no peace. Go read you verse 10 and 16 of chapter 13. Ain't no peace nowhere to be found. They was allowing wickedness to flourish when they disheartened the righteous to the point of death. You really need to go read verses 19 to 22. Just, just go read that real quick. But what gets me is these people believed them. Ugh. They out here believing the prophet liars. And it's pretty, it's pretty bonkers to me that the people were trusting these deceptive leaders. But then again, maybe it's not that bonkers. It's not that far-fetched of an idea to wrap my head around because the prophet prophet liars here, these these false prophets, they were telling the people of Judah exactly what they wanted to hear. You know, but the problem with that is that the lies of the false prophets ensnared the people of Judah and their leaders set up idols in their hearts. Chapter 14, the first eight verses. So the Lord declared that he's going to rescue his people from the prophet liars traps through judgment that was about to come to Judah, even though some people were about to be spared. So, if we want to dissect this just a touch further, the people of Judah are really just serving as a great warning for us to look closely at the words that we listen to and the words that we speak on behalf of God. I'm real careful. I don't be just throwing out there, oh, God told me. Oof. I don't just be throwing that out there loosely or lightly. No. Not going to catch me being no prophet liar. But this passage. A little bit, low-key, high-key, it's starting to feel like a high school science lab dissection of my heart. I got me out here thinking, like, what influencers am I following? What teachers or preachers am I trusting in? What am I telling others about what God says? You see, any one of us could be vulnerable to deceptive leadership that's claiming to proclaim the word of God, but... You know, they're just out here spewing whatever they can do to be profitable. can also be very enticing to tell people what they want to hear instead of speaking truth and love, especially when it costs us. And you see, the Lord declared judgment on Judah, but later he declared restoration. You see, that's why I love God. Because even though Israel rebelled against the Lord, he was going to move in some really extravagant ways just to restore her. And that's why I'm taking so much comfort in the warnings of this Lent season as I'm going through Ezekiel. because God's words accomplish his will. Unlike the prophet liars who were waiting for made up words that was never even going to come true because guess what? They never did. Okay. Sorry. Just had to throw that in there one time. Okay. So right after that this whole like comfort and warning and now we like high school lab dissection of my heart I'm going to share with you a reality check that I need from time to time and it usually comes in the form of a question when was the last time someone else's words about me toppled my self-perception maybe I happened to overhear them You know, when I wasn't supposed to hear people talking about me or some brave person decided they was going to have the courage and come tell me to my face what they really thought. That's not always the case. A lot of times I accidentally overhear things, but 
there have been an occasion or two in which the person has decided telling me to my face was better and Holy Spirit needed to activate because your girl may or may not have handled it well. It's okay. I'm still working on it. I'm still working on me, people. I'm still working on me. So Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 15 and 16, the Lord God is out here confronting severely, like, He's out here confronting severely flawed self-perceptions. First of all, he's going to be asking a series of questions that basically unravel all self-deception. The Lord, speaking through Ezekiel, lays this brilliant trap with his questions. Like, it got me, y'all. It got me. And I'm not even the people of Judah. (laughs) Or maybe I am. So first, he starts off with, how is the wood of the vine better than and this whole better than invites just a whole bunch of positive qualities to come to mind, right? So imagine you are in an interview for a high-paying position, and you said, how am I best qualified for that role? Well, let me tell you. That question is an indicator that I'm preparing to explain to you why I'm a no-brainer candidate choice. You need to pick me and pay me already. Hire your girl. But. Each subsequent question presumed the worst about Judah and just starts peeling off layer after layer after layer of their salty, (laughs) salty, (laughs) no, faulty self-perception. It's almost as if, circling back to the interviewer, it's almost as if the interviewer would have asked, how have you failed in your professional life up to this point? Explain yourself right now. You see, was was Israel of any use at all? In the words of my buddy Charlie Brown, good grief. The wood of this vine isn't even fit for burning. Sheesh. Chapter 15, verse 4. Talk about a blow to the self-esteem with one word. One word connects us from chapter 15 to 16. And that word is unfaithful. And the length and the content of which are super devastating. You see, I still have trouble wrapping my mind around the life that's described here in chapter 16. Because Ezekiel, he don't be sparing nothing. He out here, he going all at it. Talking about sumptuous living, extreme indulgence, exploitation of sex and sexuality. And then I pause and remember, that's exactly the world I'm surrounded by. In some cases, completely immersed in in the culture, society around me. You see, arrogance and wealth, unconcern, they numb my own heart. It's all there. It's all here. It's all around me. This unfaithful, promiscuous wife of the Lord was skilled in each of these, as described here. But so is all our culture. But there's good news. You see, the devastation of God's judgment is not the end of the story. If anything, this season of Lent is reminding us that there is gleaming hope through the darkest of our valleys. It's the truth of God. Everlasting covenant, the atonement through Jesus, all of his promises, instead of being burned, charred, and useless. John 15 tells us that pruned branches will abide in the true vine and bear fruit. That's all I'm trying to do, y'all. I'm trying to bear fruit. Like, go ahead, Jesus. It hurt. I'm not having a good time as I feel genuinely attacked by these passages. But if it's going to get me to the point where I'm bearing fruit and I'm getting closer to God, then 
all right, yo, you know, do what you got to do. Prune the branches. Because your girl trying to bear fruit, be super fruitful. All the fruits hanging off my branches. I'm trying to be like, yes, all the fruits. But the good news is, in Revelation 21, we see that the lovely bride of Christ is what will be taking place of the shameless, promiscuous wife. So, you know, just because you're not in a good place right now, don't mean that it can't get better. That's why we walk with Jesus. That's why he helps us. Thank you, God, because, let me tell you something, if you ain't with me, I would not be remotely close to where I am today. So thank you, Jesus, because you walk with me and your promises hold true. Regardless of my mistakes, you are faithful, and I love you. And I thank you because each and every day I'm learning more and more about how to navigate life and how to draw closer to you. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening and being a part of this journey with me. If you liked what you've been hearing, then share it with a friend or drop some ratings and reviews. I'd love to hear from you guys and what you're thinking, how you're feeling, and if this is something that you've been enjoying as much as I've been enjoying going through it with you. Um, So thank you so much. I love you all, and I'll see you real soon. Bye.